listening to We're Talking Drums, bringing extreme discussions from the world's top drummers to your ear holes. This episode is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one choice for drumsticks. They provide the wood you need to make the beats you deserve. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Now with your host, Corey Hoffing. Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Talking Drums. This is episode 43. I am your host, Corey Hoffing. Once again, it is a beautiful day. Uh, it is fall now. I hope everybody is enjoying this wonderful weather, at least here in Canada. It is. Uh, it has been pretty damn nice. I went for a wonderful walk today and I absolutely loved it. Fall colors are coming out. Uh, hopefully that breeds some inspiration for all you guys out there. All right. First off, I want to thank all of you for listening. You guys are amazing. We uh, wouldn't really be doing this without you. So thank you for listening. Now, if you want to support the podcast any further, please feel free to share with your friends and share and tag us on social media. That's at We're Talking Drums on Instagram and on Facebook. We are backslash We're Talking Drums. If you want to join the conversation even further than where we are right now, please join us in our We're Talking Drums community Facebook group where you can post anything in regards to any episodes, anything you want to learn, anything that you may want to teach some people or show your support for your fellow drummers. So join us on there and that is the We're Talking Drums community Facebook group. Excellent. All right. All that out of the way. This week, I sat down with New York-based drummer Alex Cohen. Alex is a professional drummer with extensive experience in a large number of styles and settings with particular expertise in extreme metal and technical drumming techniques. This guy is an absolute beast behind the kit. He has played on over 50 records to date. He has a book called Ultimate Progressive Drumming, and he has numerous features in Sick Drummer Magazine and also a feature in Drumhead Magazine. On top of all that, he is an admin on the Facebook group all of you should be a part of called Murder Hands Online. So all that being said, here it is, my conversation with Alex Cohen. Alex Cohen, welcome to the We're Talking Drums podcast. Thank you for being with us. How are you doing today? I am good. How are you doing? Man, I am not not too bad, man. It's uh, it's been a pretty uh, crazy weekend here, so I'm just having some coffee, trying to uh, get all woken up here. It's uh, do not blame you one bit. Yeah, man. Uh, so we got a lot lot to discuss today, man. You yes. are an extremely busy and prolific guy. So uh, just as a little bit of a background for our listeners, let's let's start from the beginning. How you got started playing? Because uh, I know you've been playing for quite some time. So let's uh, yeah, let's start from the beginning. How how did you get uh, behind the kit in the first place? All right. So the way I wish this, there was a more glamorous. Uh, well, Glamorous story behind this, but it started with, I was at this arts camp one summer 
and I watched this guy play drums, and I wondered, does he get tired doing that? And then I decided to explore playing drums. It went, though, from me trying to figure out if someone got tired, because the answer is definitely yes, as I can attest, yeah, 100%. <laughs> to uh, when I was in school, I, I was uh, bullied quite severely. And so I thought there was this guy who was kind of one of the popular kids, and I thought maybe if I played drums, I would be popular like him. Or I'd be cool like him. And the, the disclaimer is I wasn't then and I'm not right now. So the, <laughs> the basic gist of it was that I, I really wanted to see if I would be accepted by those kids for that. So I, I decided I just wanted to put everything I had into trying to play drums. And it didn't come naturally to me. I'll just put it that way. It, it, I was terrible for for many, many years. This is still a lot I'm not very good at right now. Um, you know, and I, I'd like to get, like to improve in my own playing. But yeah, that was the beginning of my real drive to play drums. Just wanted to be accepted, I suppose. Yeah. How old were you when, uh, when you first started, when you were at that summer camp? I was 11 years old. Okay. So uh, all right. That's a, I, I would say that that is a good age. Cause I've talked to some guys and they're like, Oh, I started when I was two or four. And it's like, you weren't really playing drums, though, were you? Like, you are just hitting stuff. At least at that age, at, like, 11, you can start to actually start to understand how things are working, right? So you you probably, like, picked up on it relatively uh, quick in that regard. Yeah, I definitely did my best, but this didn't come naturally to me. I wasn't one of those people that just picked this up and suddenly I, I was good. Yeah, yeah, it took took a lot of practice, man. And honestly, I can see that even to this day, man, you are nonstop practice. <laughs> I try and practice every spare moment I get, be it watching videos on my phone or listening to music or having sticks on my arms in the subway, you know, doing the Jojo Mayer exercise, or I'm on the drum set or I'm recording myself or... I'm always trying to play drums, and I think people forget that when you just do that all the time, that's how you get good. That's how you that's how you really start to exceed your own expectations because a lot of the time you're just you sort of see yourself as oh I have this limited amount of time or oh I only have this much uh, effort or energy in me to practice right now. And the truth is, you could just find ways to practice every moment that you so choose to be it mentally, physically, or just listening and kind of internalizing what other musicians are doing or another drummer is doing. Uh, that's, and it's become much easier in the era of the iPhone and social media. So I will say that that's been a positive. Oh, definitely, man. And like, I've even tried to, over the last, like, I'd say like month or so set up my life and, 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 and everything to incorporate my practice. Like when I wake up in the morning, I have my practice pad and sticks right beside my bed. So literally I like make my bed and then I'll just, I'll do like a workout and in between reps, I, I have the practice pad and sticks there just to pick them up. And my biggest thing right now is having sticks in my hand as early in the day as possible. So like as soon as I wake up, I have sticks in my hand and then, you know, just getting that, the feel of them, as 
early into my day as I possibly can, right? And I find the earlier that I, I pick them up, the more often I'm going to be picking them up throughout the day. Whether I, even if I'm at work or something, like as soon as I'm home, or I, I usually keep a, a pair of sticks in my car or in my, my bag I take to work, whatever. And any chance I get, like, that's how you have to be. And it's funny that you say that the, the more you practice, uh, the better you get, right? That's just how it works. But when you aren't focusing on, oh, like I need to practice here, there, wherever, and you just are practicing, you, you're not going to notice that you're getting better until it's like over such a, an extended amount of time. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I can do all this stuff that I couldn't before. But you weren't focusing on, I need to be able to do this. You're just, you're just playing all the time. Right. Yeah, right. completely. And but uh, there's and, and this is just something I, I emphasize too. That there's a difference between practice and playing. When you're practicing, you need to be a hundred percent in the moment and working on things you can't do or improving things you already know how to do, but that could be better. You want to polish those. Playing is maybe where you let your mind run free, play stuff, have fun, play stuff you're good at, but. If you sound good while you're practicing, I'm a big proponent that you're not practicing. Uh, exactly. You should be making mistakes. Yeah. Right? Because that's honest. That's how, the only way that you get better and you fix the issues that you have. And, hey, if you're not making mistakes when you practice, then, yeah, you're, you're not. You're, you're not, not, you're not practicing. practicing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right, so so let's uh, let's dive into your book for a second because this thing is I I briefly took a look at it and honestly, man, I am I am not a theory type of guy in any way. And when I looked at it, I was just like, like I don't know what's going on here. So, um, your book came out uh, in 2019, correct? It did. Yeah. Um, and it is uh, Ultimate Progressive Drumming. Uh, and you are the ultimate progressive drummer as far as I'm concerned. So this is perfect title for your book. Uh, everybody go check it out. Um, it is available on Hudson Music. You can find it, uh, I think, up here in Canada. Long McQuaid carries it as well. You can find physical copies. So go check it out. Pause the podcast. Go check it out and then come back and now we're we're going to discuss it. So how long did it take you to put this book together? Because I've known several guys that have been writing books uh, for what seems like an eternity. So Okay, so here's the thing. The book itself took me about eight months to put, to, put together with Rob and Joe's help. Joe and, and uh, Joe Bergamini, Rob Wallace from Hudson, and Rick Gratton, who engraved it and did the editing. Well, Joe was the editor, but Rick Gratton did the engraving and the layout. And so basically it was about eight months to, to write it. And uh, it was a rough eight months, I'll put it that way, because I was having to work on all the stuff in the book, too, that I couldn't play and then try and get that together as well as formulate it. So that was tough. But the material itself I had been writing for over a decade. Wow. And wow. by that, I mean working through the Marco Miniman book, working through the Thomas Lang book, working through four-way coordination, working through the John Riley books on a right-handed kit and a left-handed kit, 
just teaching myself how to play right and left hand, like, like completely ambidextrously. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff like that that just took many years, and uh, the, the, you know, which kind of led to my deluge of iPhone videos, which I get, I guess, was kind of what people noticed me for. And the iPhone videos just came because I was this kind of, you know, miserable guy in my mid twenties sitting in a practice room, and I decided to like let's start documenting it and see what it's like. Yeah. Well, I suppose about eight years later, uh, the rest is history. But yeah, it it the book itself took about eight months. The material, uh, the material, and the whole process was about eight months, and then the lead up to the book, yeah, was probably ten years. Because I was not where I needed to be to formulate the material, talk about it, and teach it or explain it with confidence that I knew what I was doing and I, I know what I'm t- I knew what I was talking about. And it's the same thing I feel like when I'm doing these classes with uh, Ramon Montagnier and Yoni Madar. We, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, Yoni and Ramon are better technical players in some ways than I am. Um, certainly, the two of them do things that I cannot do. And when it comes to hand technique, especially extended techniques, I feel like a total idiot talking around them because I just, they, they have hand techniques that I could never do, cannot do right now, could probably never do in my lifetime. So that is, it's, it's a similar feeling that I had when I, when I wrote the book or when I was working on the material to write the book and that I, I want to, feel like I'm confident in saying what I'm talking about. And I want to feel like I'm confident presenting this material, knowing that I have it down and I can tell you that I have a definitive way to instruct it. Yeah. You you don't want to like write all this stuff and then be not be able to back it up in any way as well. Exactly. Right. That's just not genuine. And uh, to be able to write a book like this and have it, uh, be beneficial to the readers and the people that want to excel at their instrument, you kind of have to go through that process all yourself. And that process is a big part of, I think, writing a book or developing a book. You have to experience the emotions behind it. You have to go through, for me, it was some really dark times and uh, some drinking issues (laughs) when I was writing that book. It just, Took me to some really bad places mentally when you're just constantly pushing your your brain to its mental and physical limits. I believe it, man. Uh, absolutely. And I got I even more recently had had some burnout because I was just uh, pushing myself too much, and I could feel it coming on. And and uh, now that I, I I've been sober for over a year now, I can when I f- right, start man. to thank you. Uh, but when I start to feel that. Before I would lean into it and, you know, I'd push myself harder than like start drinking more and all that. But now I know when I start to feel that burnout that I need to back off, that I need a little bit of time to rest and and recharge mentally. Uh, and, you know, it, it when it comes to like I, I work full time, and but I also then I have like session drumming. I have my practice, and I I have a, a home studio that I run. So like I got a lot on the go, and for all of that to continue to work and function, 
I need to be operating at a certain level. So as soon as I can't be doing that, I need to take, you know, a day, get some rest, and then I can get back to 100, right? And the, the same goes for, for your playing and, and with you, like, writing this book, man, I, I'm guaranteed that that pushed the limits of what, what you can handle mentally and physically, man. That's, it's a lot of work to take on. It, it really so. did, uh, especially because people were expecting a lot from it. And yeah. I had guaranteed, I promised Rob and Joe that I would deliver something where there were things in there that they'd never seen before. And so I had to <laughs> deliver on that or fall flat on my face. And I did my best. <laughs> I, I, I hope I did deliver on it. But it's, it was a very challenging process, yes. But yeah. The guys at Hudson were very helpful, and my friends here, the Murder Hands guys, Tobias, John, Lou, and uh, uh, a lot of my other friends were, were very supportive of it and just very helpful with this stuff. Yeah, man. Well, it seems to be doing quite well, especially upon its release and everything, man. I, I'm excited to fully dive into it. Uh, I, I think I have some some learning to do before I even open the first page, but, you know. To be fair, I did give a disclaimer of some some books that people should probably work through before tackling mine. I didn't want people to just jump in and feel like they were completely discouraged. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, maybe I'll have to pick up a couple other books first. But you know what? I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to 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 do this and and learn more. Amazing. So, uh, now you you mentioned in there the Murder Hands group. Uh, now this is for nobody that knows it. Uh, this is a Facebook group. Uh, that you are an admin of called Murder Hands Online. Uh, so if uh, you are a drummer and you want to uh, get your chops up, uh, then go join that group. Uh, do you want to uh, explain how this group came to be? Because it's, uh, it's pretty badass, full of like tons of you know top guys and everything. Like It's a great little place. Well, okay, so here's the way Murder Hands really started, was pre-COVID. Okay. Tobias, Ralph, and I would meet up and, and, you know, shed some ideas and some, and some of these licks we had together. And we would start, we put them up as videos, these Alex and Tobias videos. And those videos kind of started to blow up. Suddenly yeah. we were, they were being watched by people like Scott Pellegrom, by Ray LeVere, um, Charlie Drayton, like really top level people, insane. Just the, with the people who were watching this. And at the time, John Longstreth was also working at the collective from Origin. I'm sure, metal guys know exactly who this person is. And yeah. one day, we all just sat down together and we're like, "Let's do some pad workouts. See what we get." And Murder Hands was born. Murder Hands, though, really only really took off when the collective, the director said, "I want to shoot a video of this and let's see where it goes." And before we knew it, we had a million views. On this one video. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it went viral. We went viral. And yeah. suddenly everybody knew about Murder Hands. There were people messaging us from coast, like other countries from the West Coast saying they'd come up with like their own Murder Hands ideas, their own Murder Hands chapters yeah. together. And, and we just were completely taken aback and flattered by it because really what we always thought we were were just three guys on pads together <laughs> just, like, just three and Lou too so it was just four kind of goons on pads together and 
it was a very DIY, very grassroots organization. And that I think was the beauty of it was that it was very drummers for drummers by drummers. Four guys just working on their hand technique. Man. That's all it was. And we all brought yeah. different things to the table and it was, um, it's amazing. That's the, the cool thing. And, and one thing I actually like really miss about tour is, is getting to talk to other drummers like on the tour and stuff like that. Cause it's always fun to sit down with a pair of pads and just discuss like little hand techniques or like, what do you do to do warm ups or like practice or this and that and share those ideas. So it's really cool that now in, in this day and age, we can literally just hop online and, and we have these like Facebook groups and communities that are sharing all these ideas. Cause normally you would only get that by actually getting together with other drummers and, and and everything like that like that that was like stuff you'd only get on tour where you're you're touring with a bigger band and you get to like buddy buddy with the headlining drummer yeah. and like no absolutely and that to me was kind of the beauty of murder hands where we uh, i just I, I tobias and john were like my heroes growing up i love those guys so being able to work with them as an adult was, was really cool. That felt, uh, that, that was just such a cool achievement for me. It felt like at the time, just cause I felt like I was part of the crowd or I was kind of part of the, part of the big boys, we should say. Yeah. It's, it's like you made it to that, that next level. They like, as if it's like a, a video game or something, you're like, okay, cool. I'm here. You've been grinding <laughs> now. Now you got, now you, you got the nice piece of gear or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's always nice getting to get into that level. You said in the pre-interview here that uh, one of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome is your autism. So a lot of the way that affects me is that I, I am very focused on one thing. So mm -hmm. I can focus on drums and that's just my myopic. Uh, I, I just my kind of circumscribed interest what they would call it and I could just absolutely focus on drums like a laser beam and work through all this stuff but I just at the exclusion of, of so many other things in life personal things uh, you know certain just life elements relationship wise stuff like that and uh, it just comes at a lot of a lot of a, uh, a lot of cost and another thing for me is I, I don't network that well just because I don't like going out. I don't like being around big groups of people uh, unless they're drummers. Then it's like, then I was like, I, if I'm in a group of drummers, generally I, I see seem fairly functional just because uh, that's what I love. And I can talk to you about that all day. But outside of that, I, I tend to shut down fairly easily when it comes to groups and being around people for a long time and sort of functioning in that environment. And so that's been difficult for me to network the way other musicians do. And it's been difficult to sort of pursue some work that way in the sense that I don't like being around people that much. And I don't really talk very much on long drives. I'm not a good co-pilot. I don't really like talking to people much outside of music. Uh, now, do you think that uh, the fact that we have social media and the internet and, and remote drumming and, and all that is such a big thing that that has kind of helped to leave that type of networking. 
It, it has. Uh, I've been able to, let's put it this way, you, you, it's much easier to come off a certain way in text than it is in person. Now, that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Text can be misinterpreted in many ways, but it can be a good thing when you sound much more confident than you really are going into like a business yeah. interaction or something like that. And, you know, you come off as much more confident on a video shot on your iPhone than you would trying to do something in person or something like that. There's things like that I found were challenges for me. Yes, social media has been good with that. And it was good for helping me to get my content out there. I, I could sort of circumvent the networking aspect of a lot of this stuff. And I mean, getting big, bigger gigs and stuff is still very difficult for me, especially just because I, I can't really go out to these venues like Rockwood Music Hall or, you know, these sort of singer songwriter areas. I, I just can't really be, be in that environment. Was touring uh, like a very stressful thing for you? Touring is always a pretty stressful thing for me unless it's on a bus and I have my uh, a good deal of my own space. Uh, and, and the malignancy guys are pretty cool about sort of letting me do my own thing. And they know kind of not to they, they know when I'm at my limit and not to give me grief if I'm like, I'm just I don't, I don't want to deal with this right now. Speaking of malignancy as well, man, I was going through some of those uh, slightly older videos uh, from I think like I think it was like 2016, 17, something around there, uh, maybe a little older. And just your your precision and calmness behind the kit while playing this like, insane like tech death is like crazy. I'm just watching your face and you're just like so calm and relaxed, but then your hands and arms and everything are just like going crazy, man. I I, I have no idea how you, you keep so calm and relaxed behind the kit while playing that. Playing it simply, that's the focus <laughs> for, for playing music like that. Because, again, it's it's so difficult to play physically and mentally that I just have to try and stay 100% in the moment zen. Yeah. Th that stuff is very difficult, and I need to keep a level of calm and a level of sort of centeredness to execute it correctly. And I, I, it's still, I botch some of those songs because they're so fast and they're so they're so demanding. It's uh, oh yeah, it's really really an experience playing that set. Oh, definitely. And I remember seeing uh, Mike Heller play uh, a set. That was the first time I ever experienced Malignancy ever was a friend took me to the show. She was uh, friends with the Malignancy guys and was like, oh, you got to come see them, whatever. I go out and I'm watching him play and I'm like, I, I, like, I, I don't know what's happening right now. Like, this is insane. I'm going to put it this way. <laughs> Mike is a much faster player than I am. He is a machine. Just, yeah, just knowing that that anybody out there could uh, even fill in for him, man. Like that's, you know, kudos to you. That is not something I would ever step up to the plate to do because that's uh, that's pretty insane. Yeah, fill in in the sense that hey, yeah, I, I try and replicate these parts somewhat, but yeah, it, it, it's a daunting task. It what. That was one of the most challenging experiences of my life was back in 2012, which leads me to when I got a guitar pick thrown at me on stage in front of uh, thousands of people were these festivals in Europe we were playing. And 
I was not cutting it. I, I had had a month to learn the music. I, I couldn't play this stuff, not in a million years. So I had a month to learn the music and, and I did my best, but it was just not good. And we were playing the drummer who played behind, uh, the drummer who played in Cephalic Carnage, which we, we opened for Cephalic. That was Patrice Homlin. And he sounded amazing with Cephalic Carnage. I sounded terrible. So it was just night after night, I just got the floor wiped up with me. And yeah, I almost wanted to quit when I got home. It was so, I was so discouraged. It's almost one of those things where it's like, is there a point in me me going on stage tonight? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was literally that feeling. I, I can't imagine that. That's crazy. That was horrible. Uh, but But since then... Things have uh, gotten pretty good. I, I believe I remember seeing you in Toronto play with Malignancy one time, and it was incredible. You, Thank you. You absolutely killed it. Because uh, I, I looked, and I was like, that's that's not Mike behind the kit, but it, it sounds sounds bang on. I'm like, okay, all right. So they, they found somebody who could actually play it. So that's awesome, man. I, I do my best. <laughs> I would not say I... I the big shoes to fill. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, and and honestly, every drummer has their own uh, unique style and everything. And trying to copy what he is playing isn't going to happen. You have to put your own spin on it. And it's, I'm not that type of drummer. Uh, yeah, I was never trying to be the fastest. Uh, I was never trying to play upwards of 270 BPM. That just wasn't my thing. I don't yeah. ever think it came really naturally to me. And there are people who can do it a lot better than I can. But I just, I tried to find my niche a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think you have. Uh, and honestly, yeah, what you're doing. And and I know uh, like independence is your, your really your, your cornerstone of your playing is having yes. that independence between all your limbs and watching some of your videos where you're playing like four different parts. And dude, it's, it, it hurts my brain to even think. <laughs> about it, well, I, 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 I don't want to hurt people's brains. So I apologize for that, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where that just developed over many years of studying that material and trying to really get it down and, and working on evening my limbs out to the point that I could say, hey, maybe I want to take this part from my right hand and put it in my left foot and actually have my left foot play it, not just like kind of fall apart. Actually, like take the time and focus and get it to the point that, yeah, OK, this is actually working now. You know, because like I, I know there's a lot of times where I'm like, hey, this would be really cool to do, and I try it, and it kind of doesn't really work. I'm like, ah, whatever, fuck it. Uh, but you know, actually taking the time to actually like nail down everything and, and get it to the point where it's actually usable is a, a task in it in and of itself. Oh, it's a huge thing, and and it's definitely one of the most daunting things for me when, whenever I sit down and work on it is you can spend a thousand years working on this and you still won't get everything there is to know about it. So even after uh, all these years and all this time, I'm, I still feel like I've just barely scratched the surface of it. It's funny. The more you start to learn, the more you realize how little you actually know. I know nothing right now about this. I, I am just a humble student, you know? <laughs> 
I think we all will always just be students. Like, that's it. We can share knowledge with others, but um, no, everybody's always just learning. There's way too much, way too much to learn in one lifetime here. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's like sort of where I've been. It's just, yeah, I just keep working on it. But I know that there's always something for me to learn, to get better at. And that's just something that I've come to accept and it keeps me working, keeps me practicing, keeps me wanting to improve. Now we're, we're getting low on time here, but there's a couple other things I want to discuss. And one is being your, your setup. You have what? Three hi-hats, four chinas, three snares. What, what is going on here? And what led you, what led you to this setup? Because I know it probably was a, a lot of trial and error over some time. So, like, yeah, please break it down for us. Okay, so I wanted to have a left-handed and a right-handed kit in the same set. And what I wanted was to be able to orchestrate melodies over the drums or imply secondary backbeats. So, like, the left hand would move between two voices. The right hand would yeah. move between three. Right, so you'd have like that, you know, this type of effect. And just that idea that you would like create almost melodic drumming, like a keyboard instrument, chords, mm-hmm. kind of chordal effects, using yeah. different cymbals, different drums, and, and different alignments. So the other thing, I was always fascinated by ambidexterity, just kind of because my left side sucks. And my left side is always, it's still not nearly where I want it to be. And I just figured out that playing a left-handed drum set would be an easier path to ambidexterity and getting a stronger left side. And so yeah. I really pursued Perfect. doing that. Because I know for myself, I love to have a secondary hi-hat on the right, um, especially for doing long double kick parts or blast beats uh, with a hi-hat and doing it all open-handed. I prefer to play primarily open-handed. Um, so like that is, it just, it allows everything to be more free and open. Right. So, uh, that I understand. Uh, but having, you have a hi-hat right in the middle as well. Is that just so as you're going like across toms or so there's a second one, like right there, you can kind of keep time with the, the left, but still use that. Yeah, there's that, but there's also, I want a stack sound too, so you can get a lot of these contrasting percussive voices using sort of multiple foot pedals and such. And another thing was I just wanted all these different voicings that I could reach relatively quickly to create kind of some of those effects and those different ostinatos within those independence patterns. Well, dude, I I absolutely love how your kit is set up. It's like um, I I was I was talking to uh, Todd Suckerman. I ended up meeting him uh, at, when they played in Toronto. I think last time when Sticks played there, and he really he narrowed it all down to being a in a cockpit, being a pilot in a cockpit. Because I was like, how do you how do you play with your your kit so tight? And I find like your kit is very similar. You have your like crash symbols up higher, which is great for recording to keep them out of the tom mics and everything but everything else is very tight and like right in front of you so it's very little motion you need and it just reminded me of of todd suckerman saying that he's in a cockpit he wants everything right there 
right? As little motion as possible. You don't want to have to be reaching for, you know, any any small little thing or anything. So, yeah, I just I, I love how tight your setup is there. And I'm actually thinking maybe I should switch my setup now to something a little more tight uh I, I i end up hitting my sticks off everything and then i then i get i get embarrassed i'm like ah oh, fuck i'm no good anymore because i'm hitting rims and dropping sticks so i keep everything separated i'm like i'm not gonna get my sticks caught on anything now it's gonna be great but uh no having having everything all tight together like a cockpit is like fucking amazing man it's a, I, I like it for that reason. I can move fast and know that I'm like right there for different voicings. And having those uh, three different snares uh, there as well, I, that's always something that I've wanted to dabble in too because I love it. Like just being able to go slightly to your left and then you have – like snares are such a huge part of the drum kit, right? Like that is really where where the voice of the kit comes alive is in your snare drum. So being able to switch that so quickly, like just go over and then, okay, you got a whole different other feel and you can get a whole other different groove out of just using a different snare drum and having it right there. So I understand why like putting three snares on a kit, like for the oh, yeah, energy dude. play, man. Oh, oh completely. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's um, that's a that's a big part of uh, just the developing the motions between all. It's a lot, man. There's your left side has to develop as well. There's so much that goes into this that people sometimes I think forget about. Hundred percent. Like, oh, I I I can't imagine because like you like when I look at the old malignancy videos and stuff, you're like one one up, one down as far as your toms. Like very basic kind of setup and. The, that was back in the yeah. day. Oh, God, I sounded terrible yeah. back then. Ugh. <laughs> well, I, I disagree, but, you know, I, I thought you were fantastic. But, you know, I appreciate you know, that. We, we all grow, and uh, I, I, I think you, you've grown into a different, uh, not a different, a, uh, you know, you've grown into your own style, if you will. Uh, and, you know, a very uh, mature, percussionary uh, adventurist. Uh, but just having all those uh, other t- extra toms and symbols and everything. Actually, I saw you you posted a video more recently about doing a drum playthrough and tagged uh, uh, our our good friend of the show Bryce Butler in it. Much love <laughs> to Bryce. He is a wonderful drummer and human being. That will be announced soon. Uh, I cannot spoil it right now. Uh, I wish I could, but you will see, uh, and you will see it announced very soon. That's excellent, man. Yeah, because because Bryce is, um, dude, the guy, the guy is absolutely amazing. I don't think he gets enough praise from the com- the drumming community as he deserves. I I do feel like his name is gonna be up there with the rest of them over the next decade. Like he's gonna be highly talked about. Uh, his, you know, but uh, he is a lot more of a progressive drummer. And and playing with a band like Shadow of Intent, who are very much so like a very, you know, like death metal, melodic type of band. Uh, this new stuff he recorded, though, is really, I, I, I think that you're going to hear a lot more nuances of it uh, over time. 
So it's going to take a little bit for it to set in because he has to keep everything set in in line, right? But with the with the way that his his playing is and how progressive he is, like he he adds in so many little symbol symbol little nuances and everything. Uh, I'm excited to, to hear the rest of the record though. For sure. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. You know, Bryce is a fantastic drummer. There's no question. Certainly uh, one of my favorites in the metal scene right now. And yeah, I, I love what he's done in all of those bands. I think it's terrific, and it's uh, I, I love listening to his playing. All right, so you've been doing freelance session work for about eleven years now. Yeah, uh, it's been a long now, time. <laughs> a long, well, yeah, quite some time. Man. And you run uh, a studio, a studio, Solitude Studios. Yes, sir. Uh, which which is great. Uh, I noticed one one name on the list of people that you've worked with that I wanted to ask you about. You said that you've worked with Chris Amott, who uh, is formerly in Arch Enemy. So Chris and yeah. I uh, did some playing together, and I recorded some tracks for him, but they were never released. I think another drummer did the record with him. But I got a chance to hang with him and, you know, maintain a friendship with him. So, uh, you know, I look, man, the truth is, is like I, I can say I worked, you know, or I played with people. But if I had a dollar for every gig that I lost or was fired from or audition I botched during my formative years, I could buy us both like a really nice bottle of wine. That's it. Like we're talking like <laughs> top shelf liquor here. So the, so the truth is, is yeah. I, I just... At the time when I had, I think, some opportunities, I was not ready for them musically. And I yeah. feel now it's just funny looking back on that and realizing that, yeah, I, uh, I, I think I, would, I could have done much better on a lot of things now looking back on them. But this is life. You know, you just got to yeah. keep moving forward. Well, I think that's a really good lesson for um, a lot of younger guys to learn because even myself, uh, there were a lot of opportunities that I had that I didn't get, um, whether it was I just wasn't ready for it uh, or like I wasn't mentally in the place I needed to be or it's just there was somebody else that it made more sense for them to go with. Yeah. Like logistically or anything. Right. But it's a really good thing for, uh, younger guys growing up to realize is that you're not going to get every opportunity you go for. You're never like, it's, it's very rare that you go into an audition. You're going to like nail it every single time. Uh, no matter how much you, prepare for it or anything like that right so everything that you don't get you know there's, there's always going to be a time where you look back and and you're like oh well you know always lessons to be learned i guess from every opportunity you don't get completely now here's the funny thing uh i view i like musicians where i can hear they've been fired that they've struggled that they paid dues i can hear that sound in in a musician in a drummer where you could really hear the polish, the the work ethic, the overcoming challenge element. I, I hear that in Bryce's playing. Like, you know, when, yeah. I, when I hear Bryce play, like the guy has so much energy and emotion behind his parts, behind how he plays the parts, the precision he plays with. And I think that's just part of his voice is what he's been through and the experiences he's had. Yeah, there's so much passion. Exactly. Yeah. You know? 
and and I think in, in the day and age, especially in in metal drumming, how a lot of guys, as far as recording goes, anyways, are going like the the MIDI drum route, or everything is quantized. I think that we're in a better place right now. I think right now. We're in a shift that's going back to people wanting more of that human element in their recordings, which is really, really nice to hear and kind of like feel and be a part of this. But there there was like the last five to ten years, everything has been chopped up, quantized. Like you're, you're yeah, I agree. <laughs> you you lose so much of, of the feel of it. And it's funny. I've seen you post videos where you talk about timing and your recordings and being having your your kicks and snares like dead on the grid. And I I find it hilarious because as drummers, there's two main things that we strive for. And that's like perfect timing and being as on the grid as possible and groove. And those two things, it's, it's balancing the two. Right. Yeah, I have a problem with that. I'll be the first to tell you that I think in some ways I'm a little too snapped to the grid. But you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. At least it's on time. <laughs> I had That's terrible. Sense. I had such bad time. Everyone used to say how awful my time was for the longest, for the longest hot time, pun intended. And so <laughs> I, I just, you know what? If it's on the grid and it's really tight, great. I'll take it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> At least yeah, it's yeah. at least it's come a long way that way. I'll say. Yeah, man. I just I just find it funny because those are the two things: is you want you want groove and feel and that human element, but also we are trying to be as tight as possible, and we are trying to be like a machine, but we want the machine to be more human. Like it's it's a weird balance that we're at right now. So. Yeah, it's, it's still better than those old recordings where everything just sounded like it was like it was BB guns firing. I remember that one. I remember those well. Oh man, yeah. As soon as uh, triggering and death metal uh, and and quantizing it became standard, it got out of control. <laughs> it did get out of control. I think it was like mid mid to late two thousand. Yeah, every album that came out, I'm like, these kick drums sound like ass. Oh yeah. Like, Oh my God! What is happening? Yeah, Pro Tools. Pro Tools was uh, yeah. Pro Tools did 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 a number on death metal. That's for sure. But yeah, I do like it, that it, we're it, hearing it. we're hearing more natural tones now. I, I'm very big into, especially at Solitude Studios. I like to try and play like I'm. I, I try to make it sound like I'm triggered, but I'm not triggered. It's taken a while for even like like recording engineers, mixing engineers to kind of figure out the the balance of of triggering to natural and and everything like that too, right? I know in in my studio, I've been leaning more towards because I I like to play with two single kicks, but when recording, it's very difficult to mic up two kick drums to get them to sound the same and takes a lot of tuning and everything so i usually just trigger them but now that i'm i'm recording more i want a natural kick drum sound so i'm going back to using a double pedal uh in the studio just so i can get a natural sound and it was like the other day i was working on some parts and i was just using the mic and i was like listening back to it i was like oh shit this actually if i just eq and compress a little bit and 
okay, like this, I, I can get this sounding really nice without using samples. Yeah. So, you know, and then even just layering in a sample very, very lightly underneath, I'm like, okay, that just keeps the foundation solid and we're good. And it still has a natural aesthetic to it. No, absolutely. And I, I'm a big proponent of that. And I'm just very glad that constantly recording myself has really tightened a lot of my timing, consistency, and ability up when it comes to that stuff and made me very aware of sort of my parts and how I approach things and my, just my general songwriting too. I did. It, it absolutely helps. And do you think that you filming yourself, like, like you were saying, like you, you would set up your iPhone in the jam space and just record yourself practicing and everything. And yes, maybe you putting it online allowed people to, find out about you and it enhanced your career and networking in that way. But do you think that just recording and watching yourself back that helped completely? It helped me see the, I was just really analyzing the micro motions in my playing, how my body mechanics were moving, uh, my fluidity with my limbs, where tension was. Yeah. A lot of that stuff. Uh, I, I highly recommend to anyone out there, like even if you're sitting down just with a practice pad or anything, at least once a week, film yourself and then keep those videos. And then you will notice the difference as you as you go on like a month, two months later uh, and, and really just sit down and, and and criticize your own playing. I think it's uh, I think it's healthy. Uh, don't be too <laughs> too uh analytical of it right uh and put yourself into a, a bad place but uh you know because i know we all do that we all like get down on ourselves like i'm very guilty of this so i understand awesome well i think that is a great place to end here alex i would like to thank you for chatting with me this morning it's been a pleasure and i hope we can do this again thank you for having me uh take care we'll talk soon thank you most definitely man take care thanks for listening to the we're talking drums podcast please join us on social media at we're talking drums on instagram and backsplash backsplash yes backsplash we're talking drums on facebook yeah we're all over your backsplash all right till next time keep drumming